was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi, this is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they worked with along the way. And today, I am so thrilled to present a very special episode. In October of 2020, when I was first starting this podcast, I had an idea to do a series of interviews with four different types of designers. Unfortunately, I was only able to talk to one, so it was never released. But now, in honor of her return to Broadway with POTUS, I'm releasing my talk with costume designer Linda Cho, whose other credits include this season's Take Me Out, Grand Horizons, The Great Society, The Lifespan of a Fact, Anastasia, The Velocity of Autumn, and A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, which she won a Tony for. She also helped with the recent redesign of Joe Allen, a New York institution. So now, without further ado, Linda Cho. So I'd love to start by asking you how you first became interested in theater and design. Let's see. So, um, going way back... I I think my very first introduction to theater, which I think is the case for a lot of people, is acting in a school play. And so going back to even like the fifth grade, um, we did musicals like Annie Get Your Gun and uh, Oliver, Oliver Twist. And uh, so, you know, I participated in that as a performer and, you know, the parents would help out with the costumes and we'd all sort of help make props and sets and stuff. And that was, that was my very, very first introduction. And then um, in college, I tried to take a lot of different kinds of things that, that piqued my interest. I, I, I encouraged that um, to go into any kind of academic program that they, they stretch their horizons and try a little bit of everything. You might be thinking you wanna be a doctor or you wanna be a lawyer, which you know was some of my early thoughts that I wanted to maybe become a doctor, but um, I was encouraged to to be broad based, which was great. So anything that looked interesting to me, like music appreciation, theater class, art class, all of that, um, I took some classes that looked interesting. And one of the things was uh, costume design and costume construction. Um, so I fell in love with this the theater, and in the summer I did. Um, I worked for Shakespeare in the Park in Montreal. I went to McGill in Canada. And uh, um, and so who were some of your mentors and teachers in costume design? Well, uh, sadly, I just got, got word today, one of my, my mentors who I have, I owe such a debt of gratitude was Ming Cho Lee. And he was a set designer who um, he, he ran the design department. He was the head of the department. Um, at Yale when I was a student there and he he passed away two days ago um, oh. but Jane Greenwood who's also a costume designer and Jeff Goldstein uh, were my costume professors and Tom McAllister uh, ran the costume shop so I learned I learned so much from them when I was at the Yale School of Drama as an undergrad I had a teacher uh, Catherine Bradley at McGill who still teaches costume 
working there today. Um, and she she told she told me about the business and what all the possibilities were. So these were really influ- influential people in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And so, did you always know that you wanted to design costumes for theater, or did you ever think of being like a fashion designer? Mm-hmm. Um. So going way back, way back, um, early on, I wanted to be something artistic, but um, my mother was afraid that I wouldn't have a an easy life being artistic in oh. any kind of field. Um, she said that uh, she really wanted me to be a doctor. So actually, all the that I made were really uh, in the direction of getting me into med school. Um, I did, I worked at, I, I uh, did my final year of high school at the Ontario Science Center Science School, where I did all my math and science. One summer, I did research at a nuclear facility. Another, and this was all like, before I even started college, um, another year, I went to an engineering camp. So er- everything was very math and science growing up, even though my mother was a, uh, a, a fine artist herself. Oh. Um, so my, my, it didn't really occur to me to be a, a costume designer. So I didn't even know that I wanted that wish. I considered architecture, um, but Again, it was discouraged from that because my parents really had their hearts set on me becoming a doctor. Um, uh, So it wasn't until I was graduating when my mother suggested, hey, you seem to like this theater thing. Why don't you do that? And I did. But fashion, fashion is very different. You asked me whether I considered being a fashion designer. Um, You know, as a costume designer, I'm a storyteller. And, you know, my the medium that I use is, is clothing to tell stories. With fashion, it's it's a little more ab- about commerce and and selling looks that that sell. Um, so it it th- there are different things. The discipline is different. The st- the things that you need to know are different. Um, you know, the only thing we have in common really are that we put clothing on people. But um, for me, the clothing may not be attractive. It may not be trendy. It might you know it's it's really just about uh, trying to to support the the play. So after you graduated from college, how did you start to pursue a career as a costume designer? Well, first I went to grad school. Oh. And while I was in grad school, so that I did my undergrad in psychology, and then I went to graduate school. Um, I got my master's at Yale. And um, in the summer, when I was still a student at Yale, I worked at the uh, Williamstown Theater Festival in the Berkshires. It's a summer stock theater. And there I met uh, a young director, Darko Tresniak, who now uh, 20 plus years later, we've done 56 shows together. Wow. And, um, and a number of colleagues that I still work with and, and, uh, and know to this day. So I think that really helped kickstart my career because I was already working and making all those contacts while I was still uh, a student. And um, that was something I was able to do in the summer and then sustain after I graduated. So in your career, you've designed both musicals and operas. And do you find that there's a big difference between the two? Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, a similar process that happens, but some of the differences between opera and, and musicals is that um, I, I would say the world of opera is a little more formalized. Um, the... 
I don't know how familiar you are, you are with the opera world, but the first thing, the first step is the sopranos and the, the tenors, the, the big roles. Great opera singers sing maybe two roles famously in their, in their repertoire. And they're hired 10 years in advance at various opera companies all over. So they are booked into a season and then the directors are chosen maybe a few years, like two or three years before that opera is presented. The uh, director will choose their designers and uh, gen the, the opera, some of the operas that I've worked on, um, you get about a year to buy it and um, figure out what your fabric's gonna be and everything, and then possibly a year to build it. So there's like a, a big, long drawn out process. Whereas with, with musicals, um, it, well, it depends. There's different paths to a musical, but if you're, if you're presenting at a regional theater, which a lot of commercial big musicals start at because it's, it's a little safer environment than uh, kicking something off in New York because the stakes aren't as high. Um, you know, the, the, the theater will announce their season um, right at the beginning of the year. And then you might get a month to design it and a month to build it. So instead of a year and a year, you get a month and a month to, to yeah. put it up on its legs. Um, yeah, so I, it, uh, but in terms of the design, it's pretty much the same. You know, you have your discussion with your director and um, you, you draw your pictures, you get your fabrics, you have your fittings. Um, what I found with some operas is that because the actors are, are international, you may only get like one half hour fitting a few days before they go on, which was a big surprise to me. Whereas with uh, theater or musicals or regional theater, you know, you have three luxurious fittings where, you know, you do your muslin, you, know, you take a couple of hours each time and then you space out a few weeks and you have your second fitting and then you, you go into dress rehearsal. Opera, because of the great expense of it and you have the orchestras and all these union people in the house, that are on standby. It's such an expensive endeavor that everything is really fast and really, really um, uh, condensed. Yeah. So would you say that you prefer designing on a larger scale or in a smaller environment? Um, I like it both. I like the variety. Um, I think that's one of the great joys that there's no typical day. No show is the same as, as the next one, even if it's the same title. If you do Twelfth Night, twice in one year because it's Shakespeare and open to different interpretations with different actors and different directors and different point of views. I mean, it's always different. Um, so big or small, it, it's, um, it's I, I like the variety. Uh, I don't really have a preference. Surprisingly, small can be just as hard as big. Sometimes with big, you know, because it's such a, there's so many people on stage at the same time, it's sort of a sweeping gesture. So. You don't nitpick yeah. and, and um, concentrate on that one thing. If there's only two people on stage and they're there the entire time, you are like under a microscope looking at it head to toe. So, you know, you're just constantly sort of like shaping it and etching it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so what is your opinion on doing very lavish sets versus like leaving most of it to the imagination? Um, I guess it, again, it depends on the the context of the play, you know, some things um, you want a visual spectacle that, that is a feast for the eyes. 
And sometimes, like you said, I think that's such a wonderful question that I've never heard before. I think it is sort of great to leave a little space and time for, for you to fill out the blanks. Um, I did a, a musical uh, where there were furies and um, ghosts that, that inhabit the space that were sort of a, a chorus. And, you know, I did something sort of very stylized and simple. So like you said, it just, instead of, instead of rendering them in, in a way that maybe historically you might imagine, like a Halloween costume, some evil, like devil kind of thing, you know, it was a little more of a blank slate. So the audience could, could interpret it in different ways. And have you had a favorite character that you've had to design for? I, I, I don't know if I have a favorite. Um, uh, I, I have I have circumstances where I've worked with people that I've enjoyed tremendously, where it makes me my experience. And, and usually it, it revolves around my, my interaction with the actual people. So if the actor is incredibly generous and, and the, the show, you know, the, the rest of the, the people who worked on it were um, doing the best work and were, you know, great to work with. I think that shapes my opinion of any experience. Um, just because I've, I've, I've talked about it recently on other things, you know, working on Anastasia, Christy Altamare, our, our leading lady, was such a, like a genuine person and like a kind person, incredibly talented. The people who made their clothes really brought her clothes, really brought their own point of view. And um, they were so gifted in, in their construction of, of all, all the different aspects, whether it was the crowns or, or the clothing or, or, or painting things, or uh, that might be one of my favorite or at least the most memorable. Yeah. And is there a period you enjoy designing for? Or do you enjoy designing period costumes? I have to say, I love designing period clothes. Um, it, uh, but even more than just straight period, I like incorporating my own point of view, which is um, for me makes it makes it more rewarding. It's not just looking at a piece of research, but putting my own um, uh, twist. So a musical like A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, um, it was Edwardian but not Edwardian. I, I, I used other references, like I used uh, undergarments as outer garments. I used uh, this sort of steampunk culture. Um, and uh, that I used weren't traditionally what you might think of in their, in that period. Um, so so I, I like to sort of take the next step when I have when I have a, a period show and, and try to incorporate it, try to make it cohesive in my own vocabulary. And so how do you do your research for a period show? Sure. So, um, you know, I, I have a, my own sort of giant personal library. Uh, every show that I do, I probably buy five to 10 books oh. um, of, of the period and then the internet. Um, Sometimes you know you have to be careful with the internet um, because you want to make sure that you're you're digging deep enough and you're not just hitting the top ten search images on Google. Uh, 
um, and your your is not only has some depth but is is accurate to what you are are looking at. Um, again, I like to be accurate in my research before I take the step away. I want to know what the real thing was. Have you ever had to change your design because an actor can't change out of a costume fast enough or something like that? Yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, you may not have, I may not have realized that they have no time or they never leave the stage um, or that's something they discovered in rehearsal. So, you know, you have to adapt, you know, have pieces that come on and off. Um, something that I to do often is a versatile piece that pieces come on and off. I find uh, it can throw an actor off if you're if they're rushing off, panting, trying to change a million times and then run back in. Sometimes you can't avoid that, but um, whenever possible, we try to be as humane as possible so that they can facilitate these different changes. So how much sort of precedence do you think that the design should take on stage? And do you think it's a problem if the costumes are the best thing about the show? That is a great question. I, 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 I think that um, there are definitely times when costumes, you shouldn't even notice that they're in costumes, especially I think something that's a little more realistic of a story. You just want your clothes to be so right that people don't even realize they're in costumes. They're like, oh, of course they should be, that is what that character wears. That is the perfect thing. Um, uh, sometimes I think, I think you want a visual spectacle that helps tell the story of how lavish maybe these people are or, or, or you know, the kind of world that they live in or the, the, the image that they want to create um, to, to, the, to the world that they, that particular uh, character lives in. So. Um, yeah, I think sometimes you shouldn't even notice, and sometimes I think it's great when it takes center stage and it, it seals the show. Why not? And have you ever had to change the design of a show because of the budget? Well, I like to design the dream, design whatever I think is is perfect and appropriate for the show, um, and then try to problem solve how to achieve that with the budget that I have. Um, I think if you limit yourself right from the get-go, it can be really um, limiting and you might, might. Uh, I feel like for every problem, there's 10 different solutions. So regardless, you know, you draw something, but there, there are 10 different ways that you could execute that design. You know, there is the 10,000 version, there's the $1,000 version, there's a $100 version, there's the $10 version, there's the freebie, you know, version. You know, there are all different ways that you can do that same design. So, um, yes, I mean, I think I've maybe changed the, the initial thought of how I wanted to execute a costume, but, but for the moment, I'm able to do some version of what I designed. And so as a costume designer, what is your collaboration like with other members of the design team? I think the collaboration is one of my favorite parts. Um, so at the beginning, you, you have a meeting with your director, your set designer, lighting designer, sound designer, um, and you, know, you just talk about the world of the play and that you listen to what the director has in mind. Um, and, you know, I sort of see it as a, the, the director is the captain of a ship or the driver of the bus, 
and the rest of us, you know, we take that journey with them. Um, and uh, what's great about those initial meetings is that people will give their ideas and you can riff off it. Like the set designer might bring in a piece of research and say, you know, I, this, this photograph of the sky felt really right now. I don't know where I'm gonna use it, but I just feel like this is emblematic of the play. I wanna use it somewhere. And then I'll look at that and say, Hmm. Oh, there's something about the, the blue ombre uh, colors that I think would be amazing in, in the clothes, you know, so we riff, riff off each other and, and uh, you know, which is the sky, yeah. and then the lighting designer might look at that sky picture and say, oh yeah, it'd be great if we can use this psych um, so we can make it seem like it's a real sky out there. So, you know, it's that kind of uh, riffing off each other that happens initially. Uh, uh, and also in the room in, in uh, dress rehearsal, we see what other people are doing, the other designers, and we can react um, to each other. And so when you designed the lifespan of a fact, you were working as part of the first all-female creative team on Broadway. And so what was that experience like? It was really surprising. It was um, surprising that that it was a it was a big deal um, because like why why should that be a big deal? That should be something that just happens all the time. Um, and I, I actually, I loved being part of it. I love that attention was brought to it. So hopefully more things like that could happen. Um, but in terms of the actual production, it was, it was, it was like many other productions, you know, it, it, there was, uh, collaboration and, um, uh, great conversations. Um, I think what's, because there was some, like, electricity in the air because we knew that this was something unique and special. Um, everyone's assistants were, were also women. And um, it, we, when you did look around the room and oftentimes when I'm doing a, a show, especially on Broadway, you know, it's heavily male dominated. So it, it was, it was uh, noteworthy and exciting. It was exciting. Yeah. So, so um, what do you think about critics judging costume design and who do you think is qualified to judge costume design? I think everyone is qualified to judge, you know, it, anything artistic, everything is going to be a matter of opinion um, and be deeply personal. I think that's what is so exciting about our work. Um, I personally, I, um, I don't have any like attachments to, or, or hatred of any particular uh, critics. I um, I try not to read it if I can. Um, I, I, I think that even reading like a, a horrible review is a great lesson and can be humbling in a good way and just make you re-examine re your work. Um, you can agree or disagree, but um, I, I, I think it's all, all great and noteworthy. Um, yeah. I enjoy also reading like people's people's uh, comments on internet forums and you know blogs and things like that because that is extremely valid too, not just the nature newspaper critics. Yeah, and then what would be the standard by which you would judge a good costume design from a bad one? Well, I, I, I like we were saying before. I think if it isn't distracting and confusing, I think if it furthers. That if, if, if it helps tell the, the story of the character, um, that if it's confusing when you see what they're wearing, 
and you know m maybe that maybe it's ill-fitting maybe it's like like a color that draws so much attention to itself even though that character's like a wallflower and they shouldn't really be capturing attention that to me is probably not the best choice in my mind because it's not supporting what this character is trying to do so character support i'm all about that um and so what is it like for you to be designing many shows at once um, i think scheduling is always the most stressful thing to kind of juggle all these different aspects um but i like i, I mentioned before i just love variety yeah. Um, I love the different. So, uh, I also surround myself with some really amazing, able associates and assistants that um, I, I trust um, who, who move the chess pieces forward in the various shows at the same time. So, I'm, I'm in good hands. So, when you are sketching, do you use markers or pencils or paper or canvas, or how does that work? Um, so, what I usually do is I, and early in my, as a student, I tried every single kind of paper, every single kind of medium. I did like chalk pastel, oil pastel, paints, gouache, watercolor, markers. You know, I, I tried everything, colored pencils. Um, but as the years have progressed, what I find most efficient, what works best for me is just a piece of like, printer paper, I have a chemical pencil. And first I draw um, my sketch in eight and a half by 11. And then I photocopy it and shrink it half its size and then paint that. First water, do a, a watercolor layer and then go back in with fine detail colored pencil and, and some marker. Um, what, what the reason I did, I discovered this was the most efficient for me is I can find printer paper anywhere I am in the world yeah. <laughs> and mechanical pencils. I don't even have to find a pencil sharpener. Um, and uh, I, I, I've sketched shows on airplanes with just, you know, some loose paper and, and a clipboard uh, or a hard surface. And um, my, my painting, my, my sketches, you know, finished are tiny so I can throw it into my purse bring a little watercolor box with me and like two brushes and I can I can paint them anywhere as well. So it's about efficiency now. And my tiny little sketches that are only like two inches tall um, just take 20 minutes at the most to, to paint each. And some shows, you know, you might be doing a show that you need 200 sketches for. So I try to be really efficient with my time. Have you ever used an article of clothing for a show that's something that you could just buy at a store, or do you try to be more sort of specific to the show? Um, I, there's there's so many things that you can adapt nowadays. So, um, uh, it yeah, I mean, I try to look at the potential of things, as, again, depending on a budget, for instance, that uh, you might be trying to figure out how to to make it work you know either you could make a corset and pay somebody two thousand dollars to make it and you know eight hundred dollars worth of materials or you could get something pre-made for 300 or you could go to uh like a lingerie store and get a modern version for 150 and then decorate it or cover it or whatever and make it work um, or you can go to a Halloween store and get one for $20 <laughs> and make it work 
And so I'd be curious to know, how does the aesthetic ability and sense that you have from being a designer come into your own life, either in your apartment or the clothes you wear or someone else wears? Or I think we can't help it as people to carry over our personal taste and our, our point of view into everything. I think it carries into every decision that we make about like cooking, about how you decorate your apartment, about what you wear, about um, the colors that you like. Um, I think it's all, all part of the same thing about who you are. Um, so yeah, I think I, our apartment is filled with color. We love, uh, we love color. my clothes, even though they are mostly black, white, and gray. Um, you know, I like sort of unusual things that have something that, um, that might be understated, but uh, that have some interest to it, visual interest. I think all of that ties into my taste as an artist. Um, I think also um, me being Korean, um, I think my heritage comes into play in all the decisions I make artistically and personally, um, the taste that I have you know, for food and for art and for, for all of that, all of that plays in. And then the last thing I'd love to ask you is how do you think that theater and design are going to change? I guess um, take some time before we can be intimately in a room together. It's, uh, uh, I think space will be an issue, of course, um, because there's no getting around it. Um, we're, we're up close and personal when we're in those fittings and pinning people like we're just it's all about tactile touching people so I think we're going to have to figure out how to do that with less people and perhaps um, uh, using remote means um, like Zoom fittings and perhaps less travel than there used to be uh, yeah. I usually travel do about three trips per show and oh. Um, and normally I travel about half the year so hopefully that will be less just trying to not be in the airport as much and not. listeners thank you for tuning in and remember to come back next time when I am joined by theater historian Jennifer Ashley Tepper in addition to penning four legendary volumes entitled The Untold Stories of Broadway she has also served as creative and programming director of Feinstein's 54 Below Broadway's Living Room since 2013 in celebration of this anniversary she will join me to talk about the 3500 plus shows she's produced during that time as well as the way in which the club has evolved during the pandemic. Aside from her work at 54 Below, Tepper is also a powerhouse producer of Broadway and off-Broadway shows, including Be More Chill, Broadway Bounty Hunter, and more. She recently consulted on the movie of Tick, Tick, Boom, and was a recipient of the 2020 Lincoln Center Emerging Artist Award. So make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening. <laughs>